Triggerish, a word that drew the nation's eyes to the Georgia Southern campus. In this first episode of the semester, we're talking about the campus after the Triggerish incident and how the First Amendment could prevent any disciplinary actions taken by the university to the student. Also, an inside look on Georgia Southern's next presidential search. All this and more on the George Amber Report. It's Tuesday, August 21st, and I'm the Enterprise Features Editor, Tandra Smith. And I'm Editor-in-Chief, Matthew Enfinger. Before we move on to the triggerish incident, here's a few stories from around campus. We've just started week two of our semester, and while a new semester is exciting, it also brings new dangers for students. For anyone that doesn't know, the red zone is the first six weeks of classes in which students are most likely to fall victim to sexual assault. According to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, 1 in 4 women and 1 in 16 men experience sexual assault while in college. Georgia Southern has a lot of resources on campus to prevent and raise awareness of sexual assault. One of these resources is the Sexual Assault Response Team, which hosts a variety of events on campus throughout the semester to raise awareness about the Red Zone. Check the Georgians article on the Red Zone for dates and times. In other news, the opening date of the Interdisciplinary Academic Building has been postponed to a later this semester. The new building was originally scheduled to be open on August the 13th. Catherine Twining, Associate Vice President for Facility Services, spoke more about the building's delay. There were a number of unforeseen issues during the latter part of the construction that delayed the materials completion date for the building, Twining said. Speaking of new buildings, the Division of Facility Services at Georgia Southern is working to create the Center for Engineering and Research. The building will be built across from the Biological Sciences Building and will hold classes and labs for the Manufacturing, Engineering, and Mechanical Engineering programs. Construction is expected to begin January 2, 2019 and will be completed by July of 2020. Moving now towards the stadium, Eagle Dining Services will launch a new game day food truck. The main setup for the truck will be near the stadium bus stop and will have a menu of breakfast items, grab-and-go sandwiches and salads, and a variety of game day favorites such as hot dogs, chicken fingers, pizza, and barbecue. Read the Georgian for more information. Georgia Southern is getting ready to begin its third presidential search in nine years following the resignation of former President Jamie Abair. For those of you who may not know, Aber stepped down from his position as president of Georgia Southern on June 30th to become the provost and vice president for academic affairs at his alma mater, the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Shelly Nichol was appointed by the University System of Georgia to serve as Georgia Southern's interim president. Here to talk more about the search is coverage managing editor Brendan Ward. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. Thanks for having me on. So, Brendan, what do you think is the most interesting thing about the search process that's about to start? I wouldn't say interesting. I guess I would say concerning. Um, if you look at the last few presidents that Georgia Southern's had, you can see a steady decline in how long they actually served. So first you have um, Bruce Group, who served for 10 years. He's the longest of the uh, last three. Following him, though, you had Brooks Keel, who only served here for five years, ended up leaving to go to Augusta. And then finally, we have Jamie Aver, who only served two years. To put that into perspective, at the same time, Georgia State has had one president, and UGA has had two presidents in the same time that we are now looking for our fourth. To me, that seems very concerning. What stage of the process are we in right now regarding the search? So that's a great question. So currently, the search hasn't even started. 
Um, the first step you would do is to form a committee. Usually the committee is made up of alumni, some community members, faculty, staff, even students to some degree. You're probably SGA, some of the higher up um, students who have some influence on campus. And we haven't even done that, that yet. We're still waiting for a date for the announcement for when that um, will be done. But the first thing is that the committee gets formed. Ultimately, the University of Georgia has the final say on who goes onto the committee. But um, Charles Sutliff, the Chancellor for Communications and Governmental Affairs from USG, talked about the fact that it's really important for the community to have a say who's on this committee. So they do take recommendations of people that they think should be on it. So it's important for people to put that in. Once the committee is made, then the committee would write the presidential um, job description, what they actually want the president, what they expect them to do. Then they're responsible for going out and identifying candidates and then actually bringing in the candidates and interviewing them. Finally, once they interview everyone that they think is a good candidate, they make a list of three to five uh, finalists and they send that to the USG and from the three to five finalists, the president will be picked. Another thing to know is actually the two types of searches. So you have open searches where you know every applicant, they have to know it's public. They actually um, sometimes will have forums where the applicants or the potential presidents will come in and they'll do like a public forum, people can ask some questions. Um, the one issue with that is that people who are sitting presidents at other universities or higher up execs, positions, etc., vice presidents, provosts, their employer will know that they're looking for a new job, so it might deter some people. So the other option is um, actually a confidential search, where nothing is known until the president is announced, no one knows who the candidates are, the finalists. While you don't get the public forum, the community doesn't get as much say in that, you might get better candidates because if they're president of another university, and they come to apply for this job, their current university won't know they're applying for it. I believe that's what happened with Bear. I believe it was a confidential. Yeah, not 100% sure, but I mean, it, it, it seemed that way, because you know, none of us here really knew about it. I believe that's what happened with Bear because it seemed to just come out of nowhere that he was looking for these positions, right. and it was pretty much within a month of we finding out, of us finding out that he was looking for these positions, mm -hmm. that he ended up stepping down and taking the provost job at Lafayette. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's pretty much the search process. Currently, we're still waiting for the committee to even be announced. I'm hearing that it's going to be in the next couple to few weeks. Hopefully, probably within the month, I would say, at the very most. Um, but keep tuned to the Georgian, because we will definitely have a story on it as soon as the committee is um, announced. Well, now now I know, Brendan, that like President Nickel is really kind of, I guess in a way, kind of topped up. I guess the privatized search. Because, you know, she's saying that we'll get more, I guess sitting presidents and stuff like that, maybe more permanent people. What are your thoughts personally on that? Like, which, as a student, which do you prefer, the open search or the privatized search? Personally, that's a tricky question. Because there's pros to cons to both, and I, I can talk through a little bit more. The open is nice because you know what the candidates are, you can go back to their history and look at what they've done, where they've been, what their position they're currently at is, and you get kind of a peek into the process. Um, so you kind of see the steps along the way, who they're bringing in, maybe who the finalists are. And you can even have the opportunity to actually do like a public forum like I talked about, where you can ask them questions, get to know them, and then the community can actually kind of weigh in. You know, like ultimately it's the selection committee's job and their responsibility to pick the last president, or the new president, and the, all these finalists. But if the community really likes someone, then they might be able to, you know, have a say in it, might be able to influence it. So those are kind of the pros for that. 
The one big frill for a confidential one is, like I said, no one will know other than the selection committee and probably USG who is applying for the job. So we might get some higher ranking officials who won't be concerned about their employer knowing they're looking for a new position because they won't know. Um, so we might get better applicants from that. Unfortunately, because it's kind of confidential, the public won't know. So we won't get those to public forums. We won't get the opportunity to voice our concerns or opinions to even kind of weigh in on the president. So in a way, I guess you're kind of getting a president dropped on you, so you have to hope that whoever the selection committee is does a really good job selecting him. Which is why, again, especially if we go confidential, which it seems there's kind of a growing trend, the last two USG have been confidential, though the last two Georgia Southern, as far as I know, have been open. So it'll be interesting to see when it's announced, if it's an open or um, confidential. So weighing the pros and cons of both, personally I have to say I kind of prefer the open. I know we might not get as many great candidates, but I feel like the Georgia Southern community, not just the selection committee, but students, you know, um, community members, business owners, other faculty members that don't end up on the committee, with an open one we can know who the people are, we can know who the candidates are, and we can weigh our, or voice our opinions I guess I should say kind of have her voice heard, because ultimately this, whoever is chosen as president is going to be impacting not just students, but even the Statesboro area, the faculty members, and the staff, you know, they'll be here forever, a long time at least, longer than even the students. So overall, I just think it's important that the entire Georgia Southern community and Statesboro community gets to voice their opinion and gets to have their, their voice heard for who the new president should be. So if I was going to pick, it'd be open, but if you had me bet on it, I would bet that we're gonna go for a confidential search. Well, just going off past trends. Well, I know this is a super dense topic, Brendan, but uh, you know, I really appreciate you coming by and talking more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. We now go on to our highlighted topic for this episode, which is the triggerish incident. Uh, Tandra, you had an article out this past week that was like a basic recap of everything that happened. Could you share with our listeners just basically What's going on? Yeah, I totally can. So the racial slur was sent by a GS student to another GS student um, around July 19th. It was about five, six in the afternoon, kind of in the middle of summer, nothing was really going on. And later that evening, friends of the student who was sent the message ended up posting screenshots, both of the location of where the two were supposed to be roommates and the actual message that was sent on uh, Facebook, Twitter, basically every social media platform that you can think of. And they quickly went viral on websites such as BuzzFeed, The Washington Post, and they even made it on The View. Um, members of talk show. like talk show, yeah. Um, they ended up talking about it at um, great length. But before the night ended, one of the students who ended up posting the screenshots on Twitter actually posted a response that Dean Jackson was responding to the incident and that um, she was kind of handling that. Um, she was aware of the incident and was working to uh, resolve it. But by then, it kind of, while the actions and the students involved, like the whole incident started to blow up, that was kind of when it started to go quiet on the university side. But um, Shelly Nichols, our interim president, did release a statement denouncing um, what had happened. But then we kind of went, kind of was like radio silence after that. 
and we didn't hear too much until the weeks leading up to school and moving. So, so, so what was like the campus reaction to this? I know some campus groups uh, issued some statements. Um, speak more on that. Yeah, so Alpha Phi Alpha, the Georgia Southern chapter, the um, Zytal chapter actually, um, they released the statement from all of their members and their president like that night um, saying that they were starting a movement. But um, they started that movement and were encouraging students and other GS community members to like, when racial incidents like this occur, to like make the university aware of it, make other students aware of it. Um, just really get the message across and like don't try and bury it or try to sweep it under the rug. Um, Jarvis Steele, the student body president, also released this statement. I believe it was, e it was either that night or it was the next day, but it was definitely just as, just as immediate as the Alphas did. But he was basically saying along the same lines of what the Alphas were saying, basically, if you see an incident, hear about an incident, or told an incident to make the university aware of it so they can handle it accordingly. And, and both of those statements are available on the georgian.com uh, under the, the Triggerish article that you did write. Um, one thing that I did um, <clears throat> found interesting was uh, an interview I actually had with President Nichol, and I wrote an article based off this, uh, this interview. Um, but it was pretty interesting, uh, something President Nichol said about how the First Amendment could kind of impact the university's actual approach to the situation. Uh, we have a clip here of President Nichol talking. Because we are a public institution, mm. um, language is protected by the First Amendment, mm. and um, as much as we hate what was said, um, it is protected speech. Mm. And therefore, um, we as a university um, have to protect all speech. Mm. We can't protect just the speech. We can't protect content that we, um, only content that we like, we have to protect all. Mm. And that is, you know, what the Constitution says, and that is the rules of our land, and that's how we will um, conduct ourselves. After that interview with Nicole, I, I started looking more into it, um, and I spoke to Frank Lamonti, uh, who's the director of the Breckner Center for Freedom of Information, uh, I believe in Florida. <clears throat> and uh, he said that there are very few types of speech that are actually outside of the protection of the First Amendment. And I was surprised to see this as well, but actually racist comments are not one of them that are protected. Um, Lamonti said that he wasn't aware of any cases where a single racial slur could be grounds for discipline, especially when said in a private conversation. Uh, Lamonti said that uh, colleges are, he described it kind of as like, colleges are not the friendship police, is, is how he phrased it. I felt like that was kind of interesting. And that if uh, people get into arguments and exchange like harsh words, that it's more of a personal matter, not a college matter. So that's, that's kind of a way how like, you know, the colleges kind of place in this. Um, now, Lamonti did say this, that uh, a college's authority over students is at its highest inside the classroom. But outside the classroom or, you know, outside of campus, really, students have some significant First Amendment protection um, that a college
college can't override by its disciplinary code, even if it regards like an incident like this where uh, there's you know racial slur being used. That's possibly why I'm not saying it is, but possibly why the university is kind of in this middle type of zone. Yeah, I also think it's interesting how similar incidents have occurred on other college campuses. Like, for instance, there was an incident with Georgia State. Um, one of the players on one of their teams um, posted the N-word on their Finsta. That's um, a fake Instagram account. Um, posted that word, and before the university could even really do anything, that student um, withdrew from school. And then there's also a similar incident that happened a similar incident that occurred at App State, I want to say within the last week, and that student is either gone or we don't really know what's going on with that student. But it's just interesting to see how different universities and students handle like racial issues. Because while Southern is, you know, kind of in the middle ground, either like the student at Georgia State chose to just leave before any disciplinary actions could occur to them. And then, you know, the incident with App State is still being worked out. So it's just interesting how, I guess, colleges kind of handle something like this as, by a case-by-case basis. As much as we want them to, like, you know, really, like, go hard, go in, really, like, you know, come down harshly against a student who says something that... I'm pretty sure most, if not all, of the university community agrees is a bad thing, but you know, there's just no telling what they'll do. I mean, who's to say that another incident like this won't occur like next week, within the next month, or even the next year, and they can handle that differently than how they handled this. But one thing Nickel did bring up was the idea of a campus-wide conversation, and here to speak more on that is news editor Emma Smith. Thank you for joining us, Emma. Now, Emma, you went to the most recent, I guess, campus-wide event, and it was called Coping with Racial Battle Fatigue. Could you tell us more about that? Yes, the event was held by some officials from the Counseling Center. It was held by Joanna Workman, Deja Dukes, and Nikita Robinson, and it was actually in response to the Triggerist incident in July. Basically, racial battle fatigue is the impact that um, racial microaggressions and stereotypes can have on people of color. It can actually lead to failing grades, a lack of class attendance, increased anxiety, and just several other negative aspects. An example of this would be trying to work extra hard to prove your worth, uh, to avoid racial stereotypes, and it can be really, it can really deteriorate your mental health. So, it's really important that if you do experience any sort of racial battle fatigue, seek counseling if you need it. That's what they're there for. And what do you think were some of the most, I guess, important topics that were kind of brought up in this discussion? Well, Joanna Workman brought up how instructors can help ease racial battle fatigue that their students may be facing. She said it's important to have conversations such as this one, and I agree because I think it's refreshing to see the, the university doing something in response to what happened in July. So that's why I feel like this event was important. Well, while this outcome of, of the trigger incident is still ongoing, um, you can still report complaints to the bi- uh, bias through Georgia Southern's Bias Incident Report Team. Uh, thanks for coming, Emma. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that just about does it for this week's edition of the Georgian Report. Be sure to follow The Georgian on Twitter and Facebook. For daily updates on all things Georgia Southern, 
Subscribe to the Georgian Daily Newsletter. Simply go to thegeorgian.com to subscribe. Have any news or events that you would like us to report? Shoot us an email at gaeditor at georgiasouthern.edu. Would you like to work for the Georgian Newspaper, Reflector Magazine, or the Georgian Studio? Now is your chance. The Georgian Media Group is now accepting applications for reporting, marketing, design, and business positions. Simply go to thegeorgian.com and click apply at the top of the page. This has been the Georgian Report. We'll see you next time.